Hey, Stranger Rangers, this is Bree. This is Patina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. All right, we're here in a new location. <laughs> Rolling with the punches. Yep. You guys, um, sorry guys, you won't get a video recording this week. We had to relocate to my neck of the woods um, for some internet Wi-Fi difficulties, but... It is what it is. It is and what it is. We made it work, and I got to visit, visit baby. <laughs> I got to visit the baby. This is so, the baby. Um, that's always fun and a good excuse. So I we're here. So if the sound is off, we apologize. Yeah, definitely not intentional. Um, it's it, again, we're working with it. We're working with we're it. We're trying to get stuff out. So. But um, an exciting news, Fatina posted on our Instagram that we made 13 out of 30 on a list of female-fronted podcasts. Yes. I was like, excuse me, thank you. So cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. So thank you, everyone. Um, <laughs> it was unexpected, and it made us really happy <laughs> because we, we weren't expecting to be on any list like that. So And we weren't number 30. And to, and to not be 30 was yeah, great. <laughs> exactly. I mean, props to 30, you made it, you're on the list. Yes. Congrats. Um, I didn't even scroll that far down because I was too <laughs> excited when I found us on 13. I was like, screenshot, send to the family chat. Look at this. This is us. <laughs> I know. So, yeah. Um, anything else going on in true crime? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I was listening to another uh, podcast the other day, and it this podcast was nothing true crime related, but she ended up talking about this case in Utah. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a mom who is, um, going to jail Doomsday mom? for abusing her kids oh, no. at the leadership of her family counselor. Oh yeah. What? So, um, gosh, I, I am not go- going to know all the details off the top of my head, but this woman, I cannot remember her name, mother of three or four in Utah. They had this family counselor. I don't know if she was through their church. I think she might have been. But um, a psychiatrist, family counselor, what have you, um, basically brainwashed this woman into believing that some of these methods of, um, I guess you could call it punishment, parenting, were appropriate they were not she was leading this woman to um deny her children food they were malnourished abused in that respect but um the mom more or less had a trial but more on the less side honestly because she was like i deserve to go to prison for this I was brainwashed. I was led to believe that this was an appropriate way for me to parent and correct my children's behavior. And I now realize that it was not. So I am asking the court to send me to jail. Oh my gosh. I think it's her way of, um, atoning for it. Basically she, she makes some comment in her statement to the court about how, you know, she wants to be able to stand in front of God with a clean conscience, knowing that she, um, was reprimanded for her behavior. Well, you know, when you seek help from someone and you're so, well, not desperate's not the word, but when you reach that point where you're vulnerable enough to ask for help and, you seek someone who you think is has good intentions mm-hmm. and that they're going to help you solve your issues. Right. Whatever it may be, either with family or yourself, you know, but man, that's hard because she thought she was probably doing the best she could following the instructions from this stupid person. Yeah. I mean, you know, you trust the guidance from somebody that has a PhD in whatever their specialty is. And sometimes, um, unfortunately those people, they don't mean well, they don't have the most positive intentions, but yeah, I thought that was pretty, um, shocking first and foremost. And then secondly, you know, how often do you see somebody standing in a courtroom being like, I am prepared to face whatever the court deems appropriate for my 
punishment. For my punishment. Wow. So, um. But none of the kids, like, passed away or anything. No, 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 no. But, um, I think that they were at the counselor's house. The one of her sons escaped. He was kind of being held there and ran to a neighbor and was like, please call 911. Help me. me." Oh my goodness. That's so sad. Yeah. But nobody, nobody lost their lives in the process. Thank God. But yeah. Yeah. But speaking of, uh, terrible mothers, um, Doomsday Mom, mm-hmm. Lori Daybell, mm-hmm. something like that. Something like that. Um, I believe she was extradited to Arizona, which I didn't think Arizona could extradite, or I don't know how that works. Oh no, maybe it's Oregon. <laughs> Sorry, don't <laughs> mind me. Um, but she just had, an, I believe, an arraignment in Arizona for the crimes committed while in Arizona. Gotcha. When you said Utah, that's who I thought you were talking Mm -hmm. about, but no. So she just got that. And then, um, what else is going on that's top of mind? Oh, uh, Sandra Saldivar, the lady that killed Selena. Oh. Is coming. I don't know who the, I mean, financially, I see how it would make money, but someone offered her a three part series um, it's like a, like a tell all kind of thing. Uh-huh. And so it's one of those things where it's like, it's a car crash. I can't help but want to watch it. I, I hate that. I'm probably, you know, probably someone's going to get paid for me watching it, but right. definitely going to be watching that whenever it comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, just cringe that she has the balls, but that's, that's the life of a sociopath to exactly to think you can talk about it like nothing ever happened Mm -hmm. like it's not your fault and and you have no guilt in this right so there's that I'll let you know when it comes out because I'll be watching the moment it comes out totally I think it's later on this year it's not in the near near future but well and you're watching somebody um I mean more or less get some recognition and 15 more minutes of fame for taking out one of the most beloved bilingual oh icons gosh. of Don't get me started. probably it's all time. Early. It's way too <laughs> early. We're talking about Saldivar dumbass. Well, that situation is actually a perfect segue into the case that I'm going to cover today because I am talking about the murder of a celebrity. And I'm going to talk about the murder of John Lennon. Oh, shit. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's cool. I've it, never like looked into that. It kind of popped in my mind like a few weeks ago and I was like, oh, that would be kind of cool to cover. I did cover it to write a paper at one point in community college. So that was like, I'm not even going to say how many years ago it was. It was in the past. (laughs) It was in the past, a (laughs) while ago in the past. And then something came up recently where um, I think I saw something on my Instagram or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's it. I think that's a sign that I need to cover this case. And I thought I was doing myself a favor by diving into a celebrity murder, um, but somebody of John Lennon's stature, I could have probably done a 12-hour yeah. episode. Not, not just about his murder, but about this man's life <laughs> and everything that went into him being John, John Lennon. Lennon. Yeah. So... Okay. If there are any of you who don't know who John Lennon is, um, shame on you, but he's <laughs> one of the four members of the Beatles. The Beatles. Yes. <laughs> and if you don't know who they are, then just stop listening to this episode and catch you know, us on the next it's one. It's just like the Three Stooges. I never remember all their names either. I'll remind you. Okay. Yeah. Thank I'll you. give you a friendly reminder. <laughs> um, so first, just to start out, I'll tell you guys a little bit about John's upbringing his uh, career with the Beatles. I mean, like I said, this could go on for hours, but I'm going to keep this very uh, podcast episode (laughs) timeframe friendly. So John Winston Lennon, love the middle name Winston, just going to throw that out there, was born October 9th, 1940 at 6.30 p.m. to Julia and Alfred Lennon, and he was born at Liverpool Maternity Hospital. 
Now, John's dad was a merchant seaman, and he was away at the time of John's birth, but he would end up being able to meet John for the first time that following November. Oh, so dang, that, he was away for a while. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, I would imagine that job would kind of keep you out at yeah. sea for a minute. Yeah. For sure. Just like wow. if you're, like, going up to Alaska to do, like, sure. the fishing. fishing or, or yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, sadly enough, John did lose both of his parents at pretty relatively young ages. Um, He was months away from his 18th birthday when his mom passed away. She was unfortunately and tragically hit by a car while crossing the street. Oh, shit. So that's That's pretty intense. That's hard. And she was only 44 years old. Oh, my goodness. Just tragically taken from from his life her passing would be the inspiration behind a few songs that john wrote one was named or yeah one was titled julia so after his mom's first name he also wrote another song titled mother and john was their only child together between julia and his dad alfred and the couple eventually did split up John and his dad, Alfred, are reported to have gone years without speaking to each other. Um, couldn't find, like, super specific details of, around that, but I'm imagining maybe some sort of, like, estranged right. relationship sort of thing. John yeah. probably stayed with his mom and his dad, you know, maybe went on to follow his career or what have you. Now, John's mom, Julia, would go on to have three more children with another husband, and Alfred had two more sons with his second wife. So he had quite a few brothers, half-brothers and sisters. He was a merchant seaman. He was a merchant (laughs) seaman, exactly. (laughs) Now, John was just 36 years old when his dad was diagnosed and ultimately would pass away from terminal stomach cancer. Oof another rough way to go. another big blow wow yeah and but it's said that john and his father you know despite their rocky relationship they were able to reconnect when alfred was on his deathbed mm. so there was some some form of making up making up yeah yeah John sent him a large bouquet of flowers and they made phone calls back and forth to each other. And the two of them, you know, were able to make some form of amends before his dad passed away, which, you know, it's always sad to lose a parent, especially when there is a rocky relationship there. But to have the chance and the opportunity to be able to mend that relationship. I mean, that's ideal. It heals your heart. It heals your heart. Exactly. You're, You're left without a lot of what ifs or coulda, shoulda, wouldas for the rest of your life. Now, forming of the iconic band, the Beatles, John and Paul McCartney were the two first band members to meet each other. In July of 1956, John was just 16 years old and was playing in a band and Paul joined them as their rhythm guitarist Now, Paul McCartney had a friend, George Harrison, who he invited to come watch their band perform. And after that performance, George auditioned to be in the band. But John thought that George was too young at the time. Um, I don't know exactly how young George was, but if John was only 16. (laughs) five-year-old? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I'm guessing maybe he was like 14 or something like that. So young. So young. But George was persistent, and after several months, he did end up earning him himself a spot in the band as their lead guitarist. You know, anyone that young, to be that proficient in an instrument, to where they just feel comfortable picking whatever instrument they have, yes. and just, just like, they're a master, like, it, like your brain works differently, mm-hmm. and I can't comprehend that. No. Because you're, you're a genius. Exactly. I know. <laughs> yeah. But that's so young. So young. My my dad is super musical, and I've always admired his... I mean, he can play bass, guitar, keyboard. That blows my mind. I'm sure he could rhythm himself through some drums if he really had right. to sit down with a drum set. Yeah. And I've always had aspirations of being able to be that musically guitar. inclined. It, it is a different part of your brain that yeah. makes you that way. Yeah. It's truly... 
impressive. It's impressive to watch. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. So by 1959, John, Paul, and George were performing under the name Johnny and the Moon Dogs. Oh, I know. <laughs> I such, never knew that. Such a like teenage band <laughs> name, you know. I was just laughing when I read that. That's awesome. And they would play rock and roll whenever they could uh, find a drummer to fit in that role in their band. Now they did have another band member. His name I might be butchering this last name. Stuart Sutcliffe. He was an art college friend of John's and he was the one who suggested initially that the band be called the Beatles, but spelt B E A T like a beat, like a drum beat. That's smart. Super smart. And, um, he also wanted it to be called that as a tribute to, um, an artist named Buddy Holly and the crickets, But they used that band name until May of 1959, where they went to the name Silver Beetles, now spelt like the bug, B-E-E-T-L-E-S. So they were the Silver Beetles, and then August of later that year, they shortened it to just the Beatles. Ah, the iconic, Mm -hmm. the Beatles, that's wild. But still spell like B-E-A-T-L-E-S. So they went through this like music beat. They were trying to find themselves. They were trying to find themselves. They were exploring, playing with words and different meetings. I love the wordplay though. Yeah, I I do too. I love the wordplay. I do too. So Stewart decided to leave the band in early 1961, which ended up making Paul McCartney the bassist in the band. And their band was growing in local popularity in Liverpool, like super, super quickly in April of 1960, the band would learn that Stuart had suddenly died from a brain hemorrhage. So super sad to lose a friend that fast, that quickly to that. But three months after this news, the Beatles manager at the time, Brian Epstein, negotiated a deal with George Martin, who was the owner of EMI's Parlophone label. Their first recording session with George took place on June 6th of 1962 at EMI's Abbey Road Studios. Now, the name Abbey Road might sound a little familiar. That's because it was the title of one of their most like iconic albums where the four artists are crossing the street on Abbey road on Abbey road. (laughs) Yeah. So George, the manager immediately complained about their drummer who was a man by the name of Pete best. He did not think that his drumming abilities were up to par for what they were looking for. But at that time, the Beatles, the Beatles were already considering letting Pete go from the band. And this is when the infamous Ringo Starr joined the Beatles in August of 1962. It wouldn't be the Beatles without him. It would not, not at all. So in 1962, this is the structure of the Beatles. We have John Lennon, who is a co-lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist, also helped write basically all of their songs. We have Paul McCartney, who was the other co-lead vocalist, and he played the bass guitar. We have Ringo Starr, who was a drummer and vocalist, and then George Harrison, who was the lead guitar and a backup vocalist as well. So just a quick summary of the Beatles' fame and accomplishments in their 10 years as a band. So the band ran from roughly 1960 to 1970. That's it? That's it. I know. For when they were actually a band. For them to be so interwoven into our pop culture. I know. To have only been together for 10 years, Mm -hmm. that's phenomenal. It's crazy. Wow. And I mean, the artist went on to do other things and other well-known songs, obviously. So I think that's what makes their career as a band feel like it was so much longer than that. So as a band, the Beatles were nominated for 23 Grammys, winning seven of them. Their first Grammy Awards were won in 1964 for Best Performance by a Vocal Group and for for the song... A Hard Day's Night, Mm. and they also won Best New Artist. Of course they did. Of course they did. 
Throughout their career as a band, they released seven, or sorry, 12 studio albums worldwide. 17 studio albums were released in the U.S., five live albums, so albums recorded at concerts, 51 completation albums. So this is basically a collection of songs either previously released or unreleased. Oh, wow. Songs, so bonus tracks, what have you. 36 EPs, 63 singles, 17 box sets, 22 video albums, and 53 music videos. I mean, they struck while the iron was hot. Totally. The marketing around this entire band was work of a genius. Absolutely. I mean, they couldn't have been more popular or more well-known if they tried at all. So, with that whole reputation... We move on to John Lennon's love life. In London, November 7th, 1966, this is when John meets Japanese artist Yoko Ono at one of her solo exhibits. Boo. <laughs> oh, there is a little controversy. There is a little bit of that. Um, at the time, John was married to Cynthia Lennon, but John and Yoko started an affair, which would lead John to leave his then wife and their five-year-old son, Julian. Now, I don't really oh, fully... his mom's name was Julia. Oh, probably. I didn't Aww. even make that connection. I just remember that because my grandmother's name was Julia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that totally... I mean, that totally makes sense. I don't know about John and his son Julian's relationship after that split necessarily. Um, I would hope that he had still been in his life, but my research did not go down that rabbit hole to confirm much of that. Um, John and Yoko would end up marrying in Gibraltar in 1969 Now, the Beatles broke up in 1970, and there are rumors that this romance between John and Yoko is what sparked the split up of the band. Mm -hmm. So, we can debate that. Um, Throughout their 14-year relationship, John and Yoko wore many different hats, from being poets, they made music together, they were artists in the sense of, you know, making artwork and stuff, and they were pretty big in participating in peaceful protests um, with all of the politics that surrounded the 1960s, 1970s. I mean, that was a pretty, pretty intense time with all of that. And on October 9th, 1975, the couple welcomed their son, Sean Taro Ono Lennon. And that's a name. It is a name. What was the first name? Sean. Okay. Taro? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, no, Lennon. Okay. Now, October 9th, Sean and John share a birthday. So, pretty cool to share a birthday with your child. That is cute. Yeah, super cute. So, for the night of John's murder, this happened on December 8th, 1980. John and Yoko were on their way home to their Upper West Side apartment at the Dakota in New York City. They had spent the whole day at the recording studio, and they arrived around 11 p.m. John wanted to say goodnight to their son, Sean, before they went out to get food that evening. And as they approached the entrance of their building, Lennon was met by a man named Mark David Chapman. Chapman pulled a revolver from his coat and pretty much shot Lennon at point blank range. He was like roughly nine, 10 feet away from John when he shot him. That's so close. So close. He fired five shots from a 38 special revolver, four of which hit Lennon. Two bullets entered the left side of his body, hitting his left lung and one lodged in his neck. The other two hit him in his left shoulder. After being shot, Lennon staggered a few steps into the apartment lobby where he shouted, I'm shot, I'm shot, and then fell to the floor, scattering cassette tapes that he was carrying. I know, a pretty dramatic sight. Wow, I I had no idea. To be a part of, yeah. Uh, Employees of the Dakota rushed to Lennon's aid immediately. The the doorman, um, Jose... 
Perdomo shook the revolver from Chapman's hand and kicked it across the pavement. So he disarmed the gun, the gunman pretty quickly. (laughs) And then a concierge worker, Jay Hastings started to make a tourniquet for John, but quickly realized the severity of his wounds. He ended up removing his own uniform jacket to cover Lennon's chest and apply pressure to where the gunshots were while they waited for police to arrive. Lennon was immediately rushed to Roosevelt Hospital and was pronounced dead on arrival at 11.15 p.m. He was just 40 years old. He was still so young. Very young. I mean, this whole event played out super fast. They arrived at the apartment complex just minutes, you know, before 11 p.m. And then he was pronounced dead at 11.15. So... Lennon was cremated the day after the murder and his ashes ended up being scattered in Central Park, which was pretty much just right across the street from their New York City apartment. Wow. Now, who is Mark David Chapman? Yeah, who the hell is he? And why did he decide <laughs> yeah. to take this man out? So Chapman was born May 10th of 1955 in Fort Worth, Texas, but he was raised a majority of his life in, I believe you pronounce it Decatur, Georgia. Decatur? Decatur. Decatur. Probably Decatur. Decatur. Yeah. He came from a military family. His dad was a staff sergeant in the U.S. Air Force. And in 1977, Chapman relocated on his own to Hawaii. His parents ended up separating at some point, and his mom did follow and join him in Hawaii when he was living there. Good place to follow someone. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Hell yeah. And while living in Hawaii... Chapman did attempt suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, gosh. I know. That's old school. Super old school. I mean. But that's that's a hard way to go, too. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. It just takes so much time. I'm, I don't know. Doesn't it? I mean, I, I would imagine so. Probably depending on the... Um, the potency of yes. of the area or how you're doing that. It's probably hose from the exhaust into the window, just like that's how I'm imagining it. Yep. Then that's exactly what he did. Yeah. But his attempt failed because the hose that he had the hose that he attached to his exhaust pipe melted. Oh, okay. Yep. So failed attempt there. And after that suicide attempt, he was admitted to Castle Memorial Hospital for clinical depression, and he was being treated there. After he was released, he actually began working at that same hospital as a janitor, which I thought was pretty That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, not that you can't be hireable for having clinical depression, but I don't know that I would necessarily want to work in... A hospital that I had been treated in. No. Especially for psychiatric needs. Because they know you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Awkward. But great that they gave him, you know, a second chance and gave him a job. So Sure, that that's great. But it's just for him to seek a job where he had been treating is a little awkward. Yeah, I agree. But after some conflicts in the workplace, it ultimately led Chapman to being fired from his position. And after being fired, Chapman began drinking heavily to cope with his depression. Mm. And as you can imagine, I'm sure that just led him on a downward spiral at that point. As his depression worsened, he became obsessing over things like artwork. He was a huge fan of the novel The Catcher in the Rye, and he definitely had obsessions around music, and then most specifically, John Lennon. Oh. Yeah. That's how that came in? Mm Mm-hmm. Weird. Yeah. Really big fan of John's, and this depressive state of mind just kind of let him spiraling around one. Yeah. Now in September of 1980, he'd wrote a letter to a friend. Her name was Linda Irish, which he stated, quote, I'm going nuts. And he signed the letter, the catcher in the rye. Oh, weird. And I've never read The Catcher in the Rye. Neither have you I. read it? I okay. think I was assigned to do it, <laughs> but I know. Unless there was cliff notes. Right. No. I mean, I know it's a pretty, like, flagship novel out there. Yeah. 
probably in the top 10, at it's least 20. It's like, Of Mice and Men and the, what's the, the Hatchet one? They make you read in school. Oh, I don't know that I read that one. I think it's called Hatchet. Sure. Maybe. Why, and why am I blanking on one of the most, um, it's not A Tale of Two Cities. It's Huckleberry Finn. Well, yeah, definitely one of the books that was on the list. Yep. Of school reads. (laughs) Exactly. So nonetheless, very well-known novel. He was obsessed with this and this, that novel will come into play more later. So from Chapman's standpoint on the night of the murder, he had allegedly met John earlier in the evening. He was actually to said to have been like hanging around the Dakota apartment complex most of that day, trying to make contact with John Lennon. And at one point they had made direct contact and John autographed a copy of the album, double fantasy for for Chapman. Okay. And although Chapman was a Beatles fan, he was said to have become jealous and enraged by Lennon's lavish lifestyle. He specifically points out disliking a comment made by Lennon in 1966 that the that the Beatles were, quote, more popular than Jesus. Now, Is he wrong, though? <laughs> uh, I, I mean... At one point... Yeah. yeah I, I don't think that it was a far-fetched comment, but... Chapman did have a pretty religious background and, you know, there's stuff in scripture that says, you know, you should not have any idols. idols. Mm -hmm. So although he was a fan of John Lennon's, he did not like this quote from him very much in regards to that. Chapman mentions his motivation for murdering Lennon came from the novel The Catcher in the Rye, and he wished to model his life after the novel's protagonist, Holden Caulfield, who was a, quote, phony killer who loathed hypocrisy. I didn't really have enough time to do a deep dive into Holden Caulfield's character in the book, but... Being a phony killer, I could, you know, only imagine, you know, wanting to rid the world of people who present themselves in a fake manner. Oh, okay. Sort of way. And this is me just thinking and tail spinning without really a whole lot of concrete stuff. But, you know, you have John Lennon, somebody who more or less lives this freelance artist, hippie lifestyle sort of thing. But then on the same wavelength, he's also living this really rich and lavish lifestyle. So I could maybe see, and that's just my own mind trying to make sense of that connection where he would start to feel some hypocrisy about the words that he spoke and the message that he put out into the world. And then what he resided to when he went to go lay his head down at night right, right. sort of thing. I mean, they lived in an apartment on the upper West side of New York city if you're facing central park. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. It's no. you've got to not wanting for anything. No, at point. not at all. So Chapman had planned the murder over several months. He had purchased the revolver back in October in Honolulu where he was living at the time. And he flew to New York just days later He'd even contemplated killing other celebrities, including David Bowie, Johnny Carson, Paul McCartney, Ronald Reagan, and Elizabeth Taylor. Damn, he had a list. He had a list. Holy moly. And at the time of Lennon's murder, Chapman had no prior criminal convictions, so he really hadn't done anything like this before. Now, after he shot John Lennon, Chapman remained at the crime scene, making no attempts to flee or resist arrest. And eerily enough, he's even said to have been sitting there reading The Catcher in the Rye while he waited for police to come and arrest him. weird. Super weird. Like, sorry, you can't take that with you. (laughs) You're not allowed to have that. You're a danger to society with that novel in your hands. Wow. Yeah, creepy, huh? Yeah, he was out of his mind. Totally. Definitely. Yeah. 
So when it came to Chapman's trial and sentencing, Chapman's team intended to go into the trial with an insanity defense with the testimony of mental health experts coming forward who would say that he was in a delusional psychotic state at the time of the shooting. However, as the trial approached, Chapman told his lawyers that he wanted to plead guilty based on what he had decided was the will of God. Um, you know, so kind of full circle, full circle. Yeah. And maybe a slight tie in to the woman that I was talking about earlier. You know, he, he was like, yeah, I, I did it. I did wrong. And this is where God's going to put me. I need to face my punishment. The judge deemed that Chapman was competent to stand trial and he was ultimately convicted. Yeah, I know. He was ultimately convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 years to life at Greenhaven Correctional Facility. Now, second-degree murder. So at the time in New York, I, I was a little mixed up in that they didn't feel like they could prove premeditation. Right. So they didn't chase a first-degree um, murder conviction or... It was wishy-washy at that time in the state of what what first degree and second degree, how I mean, those differentiated. It sounds a little far-fetched to, you know, try and present the case of this guy's reading this book mm-hmm. and he felt like he needed to kill John because he was a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. That sounds a little, you know what I mean? Like that, that would be their premeditated argument. Right. And then, yeah, so I can see why they're like, we've got a solid second degree. Mm -hmm. Let's go with that. Exactly. I think it was probably a little bit more concrete. And something else that they, you know, maybe could have used also is that he had traveled with the gun from Hawaii Mm. to New York. Now, from what I believe I read, I don't think that he traveled with ammunition. I think he Mm. bought the ammo when he got to New York. So whether that could have helped or hindered a sec, a first degree murder charge, yeah, there was that little bit in there. But I think, like you said, I think they probably just at the end of the day felt a lot more confident moving forward sure. with a second degree to just really know that they were going to get let him anything slip out exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. So Chapman's sentence also included the agreement that he would undergo mental health treatment, okay, as well. So fast forward to 2000, Chapman was eligible for parole, which he was denied. And in total, he's been denied parole 12 times since entering prison. Yeah. In his first six years being incarcerated, he refused to talk to the press. He would later state that he had regretted killing Lennon and what he had done. And he didn't want to give the public the impression that he'd killed Lennon for fame. So that's why he withheld on speaking to the media so, for so long. Unlike Selena's killer. Unlike yeah. Selena's killer. Okay. Exactly. It's a little commendable. I mean, I can appreciate that. If mm-hmm. I were his family, I'd be like, thank you for not, like you said, taking more limelight. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, to this day, Chapman still resides in Greenhaven Correctional Facility. I forget how old he is, but he was born in 1955. We're almost at 2025. So he's coming up on 70 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's definitely getting up there. So after the murder of Lennon. I tried mathing oh. that and it didn't work in my head. <laughs> I've had three cups of coffee. So I'm like, like yes, yes, let me do the math. Like math. <laughs> he's 45 years old. Yeah. He's six months old and 32 days. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. So after Lennon's murder, um, Yoko, like right after John had been taken to the hospital, she had asked the hospital to not talk to the media about John's death because she wanted to deliver the news herself to their son, Sean. She did not want him to find out about it by catching it on the news, you know, it being up on TV accidentally or what have you. But unfortunately... There was a news producer that had just happened to be waiting for treatment in the emergency room for a motorcycle accident that he had been in earlier that evening. 
And one source said that him and Lennon had even shared a hospital room, which I highly doubt you have this super no. famous dude and then you're going to have him share a, a hospital room with some especially some if, rando in the waiting room. Especially if they were trying like life-saving measures on him. Exactly. You're not going to put him into like a waiting room type of like a, you know, regular hospital room. No, right. he's probably going straight to the OR. Exactly. Yeah. So I didn't really like believe too much of that. But nonetheless, this reporter had caught wind of what happened and he called the station he worked for and uh, relayed <laughs> what he knew. So I don't, I still don't know exactly if Yoko was the first person to be able Mm. to tell Sean, but, um, yeah, what just like a shitty, like coincidence of somebody being in the right place at the right time. If you work for, you know, a news outlet and of course you want to be the one to break the news. Yeah. Because that means so much to, yeah. It's going to make you look so good for your career to break the news on the murder of John Lennon. Yeah. Like... Your name's going to be known. Were, then to claim you were drinking juice boxes next to him, you know. Exactly. But you weren't. But, okay, but you weren't. It's fine. <laughs> we won't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> um, on December 14th, per Yoko's wishes, millions of people all over the world participated in 10 minutes of silence for John. For those 10 minutes, every radio station in New York went off the air. Oh. I know. Just kind of when 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 you are honoring like one of those moments of silence, it like yeah. really makes you feel all the feelings. And yeah. I can only imagine the feeling all over the world at that time. And yeah. then especially in New York City, you go to turn on the radio and it's silent. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is why yeah. this is happening. It kind of gives That's me hard. goosebumps a little bit. Sadly, there were some fans that were in such despair over Lennon's death that there were reports of three Beatles fans who died by suicide. Oh, shit. Like, hardcore wow. fans. And it made me wonder if anything like that happened, you know, like, after Michael Jackson died. You know, I mean, that's, that's like... I, I mean, I know some... I know one hardcore Michael Jackson fan. Like, I favorite artist she has memories growing up with his music and you know family memories of that and it was pretty hard for her to take the the mj news yeah um so i probably Mm -hmm. that's hard i could imagine yeah especially if you were somebody i mean you know music saves people Mm -hmm. you know he could have been the one who made the music and the songs to pull somebody out of a really dark time in their life and give them hope. And then all of a sudden this person that helped save you is gone, you know, it's really sad. I had no idea about that part either though. Yeah. I didn't either until diving into this. Now the January following his death, the New York times and the Washington post printed a full page letter from Yoko titled in gratitude And this letter expressed her thanks to the millions of people who mourn Lennon's death and to let them know ways that they could commemorate his life. So I love that. I mean, she was really a heavily grieving widow. I mean, despite what, you know, some people might think about their relationship or how it broke up the Beatles or their accomplishments Mm -hmm. or whatever, like the two of them really truly seemed like soulmates. They did love each other. They loved each other. And I think even, um, after he passed, the two of them had either won Grammys for the songs that they had written together or John was still being awarded Grammys for some of his songs. Mm -hmm. And she had accepted awards on his behalf and, and whatnot. But over the years, songs were written and tributes were performed to keep John's memory, al- al- John's memory alive. Artists that performed these tributes included band, his band members, Paul, George, and Ringo, obviously Bob Dylan, David Bowie, David Gilmore of Pink Floyd, Elton John, Paul Simon, Queen. I think Queen performed his song, Imagine like the week of his passing, um, which I can only imagine that they would have needed permission to be able to perform. So what an honor to be given permission to be able to perform that. to do it. Mm -hmm. 
I believe that Queen's frontman Freddie Mercury also did his own tributes over time. And then the 90s band The Cranberries. I believe they have a song that's written about the killing of, of John Lennon. Now, this is something that I didn't know, and I love this. In 1985, New York City dedicated an area of Central Park that Lennon frequently walked. It was directly across from his apartment at the Dakota, and it's an area called Strawberry Fields, after their song Strawberry Fields. And in the area sits this beautiful mosaic centerpiece that's been titled Imagine, uh, after his hands down most popular song and all of the um all of the mosaics and everything were donated by italy wow so i can only imagine how beautiful this piece of art oh i see what you did there (laughs) i see what you did (laughs) but like i'm sure it's so beautiful and like trees have been donated and it's just got to be just such a cool area of the park So that is all I have for that. And that is like, quite honestly, guys, like the fastest, most cliff noted way that I could have presented this. The part surrounding his murder is pretty cut and dry, although there are, you know. The reasons behind it, because it was clearly premeditated. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very interesting because it's not, you know, just a crazed fan. It wasn't a someone that had that knew him personally and had a vendetta against him. Right. It wasn't um, anyone he had wronged personally. Right. So, yeah, the the before story is definitely interesting and should mm-hmm. be told. That is wild. I knew none of this. Yeah. I knew none of this. I knew, obviously, that he had been shot in the name of the guy from having, like, previously done a paper on this, but to dive back in and to go back through all the details... Um, a lot more was unveiled yeah. for me, dive, wow. diving into everything. His, um, his son, Sean, does follow in his dad's footsteps. He's Busy. a musician. Oh, he is like the perfect blend of his mom oh, and funny. his dad. He has so many of like the Japanese features of Yoko, but then undeniably looks is like John dad. Lennon's son. Yeah. looks so much like yeah. him oh man so that is that is the story of the that's murder a great case that's thank a you great case i had no idea any of that i mean the only references i knew about john Lund and yoko were pop culture references and to be honest with you probably from the simpsons about how yoko <laughs> broke up the band mm-hmm. and that's about all i knew so it's um thank you yeah it's like now in my brain absolutely <laughs> i get to i get to know that that's fun um yeah it's a very interesting case i like the that it wasn't i mean of course it does feel random but it wasn't just a a freak accident kind of thing you know and there's no a, a story that should be told and mm-hmm. yeah that's crazy absolutely Oh, all right. So that's the case. Um, and I think we kind of covered all of the other true crime news. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the only thing we wanted to like maybe start opening the door to guys is our lives are getting a little busy. <laughs> and by a little busy, we mean a lot we mean busy. A lot busy. <laughs> um, we, you know, um, we'll give you guys more details as it becomes available. But um, with that, we've taken. Uh, a a look at our schedules and the how often we record and how often we put out we're we're not going to stop recording um, but I think we might scale back how often Mm -hmm. we put out episodes um, just to allow us time to enjoy our family time and so that this also continues being a fun thing for us to do yeah so um, I think we might do every other week. I think that's what we talked about, mm-hmm. putting out an episode every other week. It, it'll give us a little bit more time to research so we don't, um, we don't, uh, we, we don't rush we don't, to put something yeah, together, so cram. the quality of the episodes that we're putting out and will we still, you know, although the quality, the quantity is going to be a little less often, the quality will still be there. And again, it'll still be something that we enjoy doing um, while at the same time 
making time and making sure that we have and enjoy the time with family and, and friends. So. Yeah. It sounds like it's sad news, but it's not. <laughs> it's <laughs> I promise. Not. Sorry. It, it's, it's really good news because lots of good things are happening with personal life and jobs and yeah. hobbies and all of that. It's just summertime's around the corner. Yes. And the schedules just get so busy in yeah. the summertime. And, you know, with that also, Patreons, we don't want you to feel like you will be neglected at all in any of that scaling back. We'll definitely still try to give you early access to episodes because right. our plan is to try to double record on the days that right. we do record to free up those other weekends for us. So you guys are obviously, all of our listeners are at the forefront of our mind, but Patreons, we definitely want to make sure that you still are feeling like you are getting the early content, the extra content. We'll bust out a couple bonus episodes when, when, when you can. know, we have the time to, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, definitely just want to give you guys a heads up about that so that no one thinks that we're, um, gone, again. we're gone again <laughs> and that we are technically, um, that was yeah not savvy right yeah we are not tech savvy um so yeah it's definitely a it's me not you situation uh yeah <laughs> this is not a breakup this but it's definitely uh, us not you it's us not you <laughs> yeah so we appreciate you guys listening and again we wanted to give you guys a heads up on here so that we wouldn't like try to have to explain it like written out on instagram or whatnot right so it just it makes sense you guys can hear us talking about it and if you guys have any questions let us know but um yeah we just we look forward to keep doing it we just we're gonna scale back a little bit for sure all right all right guys well have a i almost said have a great weekend it's saturday so i'm in <laughs> like weekend saturday. mode right now <laughs> have a great rest of your week and as always don't be a stranger and we'll catch you on the next episode okay bye bye